to the Real Marathon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the best in film each and every week. I'm Rob Carraher. And I'm Danny Carraher. And this week we are talking about the film Dune, uh, one of the more highly anticipated films that we've been looking forward to doing a review of. Um, so it's finally here and uh, we're going to spend some day, some time today talking about that. Um, but before we get there, let's talk about a couple of the movies that are a few of the movies that are going to be coming out uh, this upcoming week in the theaters. Um, the first one is obviously the French Dispatch. It came out in limited release last week. Uh, obviously, we're excited to see this. Uh, that is going to be the focus of our um, show this upcoming week. Uh, and so we will we'll get a chance to see the French Dispatch. I don't think you probably have anything else to say about that. Um, Additionally, Last Night in Soho comes out this week, and this was a film that we were really excited about uh, probably this summer. And as we get a little bit closer, uh, I I think that our expectations have probably been tempered quite a bit. Um, I'm not going to be rushing to go see it. Uh, I, pro- I will end up probably seeing it here in the movie theaters, but uh, I, I think now I'm not as amped up or jacked about this movie as I was previously. Um, what do you think about that, Danny? Yeah, I'm with you. And I, I'm still pretty excited to see it because I just think Edgar Wright has uh, always does a good job of um, making an interesting movie, at least an entertaining movie. We've talked before about how he has not, been super successful at ending his movies he's great at kind of setting the movie up but i've heard that maybe this movie struggles in the last third of the movie and uh i'm just interested to see kind of where it goes it seems interesting to me still um but yeah the trailer feels like it gave away everything that happens in the movie and i'm not a fan of that sort of thing yeah, uh, and I th- that brings up a point about trailers. I love trailers. Uh, sometimes I do avoid them. Yeah, if it's a movie that I really don't want to know that much about, I purposefully do not watch certain trailers. Um, but there is a, a pretty big group of film critics that uh, really try to avoid watching trailers at all costs. And I think a lot of that is because of what you're talking about there, where it seems like uh, they, they spoil uh, a lot of some of these movies in the trailer. That first trailer we got felt like a perfect trailer because it gave you enough to be intrigued by what this movie could be about, but you didn't know really what it was about. And the one that, that came out more recently yeah it feels like they told us the entire story in three minutes and uh you know doesn't seem like we even need to watch the movie right um and i i also think that it's because uh people should avoid trailers sometimes just because they're trying to sell a version of the movie that isn't really authentic to what the movie is and so I don't know if the trailer is trying to get us to think certain things just because they want us to see it or if that's actually what's going on in the movie. So we'll see. Yep. Um, Another movie that's coming out this uh, week is a prequel um, and it is called Army of Thieves. 
And this is a prequel to Army of the Dead, which we reviewed earlier on the show. Um, Army of Thieves is going to be released on Netflix. Um, and the, the uh, premise on IMDb says a prequel set before the events of Army of the Dead, which focuses on German safe cracker Ludwig Dieter leading a group of aspiring thieves on a top secret heist during the early stages of the zombie apocalypse. Is this anything that you're interested in watching since we watched army of the dead or are you just kind of like, eh, whatever. Uh, I'll, I'll skip it. I mean, I'm sure it's somewhat entertaining. I thought that character was pretty interesting in uh, the movie. It was one of the more interesting characters and that's probably why they ended up making a movie focused on him. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just not, I don't really care to watch this. Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you. Uh, I probably will not watch it, and that's okay. Um, The last movie that's coming out this week, I don't know if it is going to be in the Nebraska area this week, but I presume it will be at our art houses before too long. Um, but it is getting at least a limited release this week, and that is The Souvenir Part 2. Um, I know this is a sequel to the, a movie that we both actually really liked quite a bit. Uh, this has gotten absolutely excellent reviews, and so I am very, very interested in seeing this, and uh, I, I plan on seeing it when it does come around. Um, I can't- yeah, go I ahead. I can't remember where I saw the trailer for this. It was before some movie, and it was just so different than I was expecting. Based tonally, it felt very different from the first one. The first part one feels very drab and slow, and uh, it's got a melancholy feel to it. And this trailer made it seem like it was kind of upbeat and eccentric. And I don't know. It'll be interesting to see kind of what direction they go in, but I'm, I'm very excited. And I think just in terms of like being able to direct performances, I felt like the souvenir part one was so strong. And so that's what I'm super excited to see you out in this one as well. Yeah. Um, I think this is a good kind of segue into what we're going to talk about next here, which was that the, they released the nominations for the um, Gotham awards which is given to um some more independent uh films and uh the souvenir part two did get nominated for something i don't know exactly what it was off the top of my head um but uh the fact that it uh i believe it got nominated for something um i'm trying to look at the actual list of everything that got nominated and I'm not seeing it on there, but I, I thought somewhere that it said that it had. So maybe I'm wrong. Um, but it is kind of in that vein of movies that probably your um, average movie goer. It got, it got nominated for the soup or for uh, best international feature. Okay. All right. Uh, good to know. Um, so it, this is the type of movie that that the Gotham Awards likes to nominate something that isn't going to be your favorite of your average movie watcher, uh, but representing some of the best films that uh, aren't made by big time companies. Um, and so the 
best picture nominees for this year's Gotham Awards are The Green Knight, The Lost Daughter, Passing, Pig, and Test Pattern. Well, so we've already seen three of those five. Um, I think that at least I'm very excited to see The Lost Daughter. Um, just looks like it, it could be a very interesting film. It's gotten quite a bit of buzz. Clearly, the fact that it got nominated shows that there is some love there. Um, and then Test Pattern, I had never heard of Test Pattern until it had gotten nominated. Um, and so you can currently rent that that movie on video on demand. So anywhere that you you rent your movies like uh, Amazon or YouTube or whatever, you can rent this movie currently. Um, so I'm going to try to check it out in the next couple of weeks here. Um, and yeah. Uh, otherwise, we're just kind of waiting for The Lost Daughter in terms of those movies that, that got nominated for Best Picture. Did you have any comments about any of those movies? Uh, I am interested to see Test Pattern. Obviously, we've talked about The Lost Daughter, but I'm also really happy that Passing got some recognition because it's going to not probably get any other recognition other than this. Uh, and it is a really well-made movie, I would say. It's not doesn't do anything super groundbreaking. I wish the story was maybe a little bit stronger, but it has, I would say, one of the strongest performances I have seen this year. Not, maybe not the strongest, but one of the strongest performances. And that's Ruth Nega. Um, and she, there's just some something that she is able to do with uh, how she interacts with other people on camera and it's it's you're drawn to her but you also don't trust her and I, I am so glad even though maybe not her specific performance is being recognized I think that this movie should be recognized for that because it's it's special well so she did get nominated in the best supporting performance category this is the uh, award show that decided to um, put the male and female categories all into one and they nominate a bigger uh, or a greater um, group of nominees rather than the typical five. Uh, but um, yeah, this is one that she is nominated in. Granted, I'm looking at the list of other people that got nominated in this category and it's going to be, a, I think, a tough a tough road for her to, to potentially win this one. But I think there is a... Uh, a world in which she ends up getting nominated for best supporting actress at the Oscars. And I think this is the type of performance that if Netflix kind of pushes it right, um, that, that she could end up getting a nomination and uh, she would, it'd be very, very, very much deserved. Um, I think you could make an argument that this is probably a co-lead performance, but uh, it, for, all intents and purposes, it seems like they are going to be running this one as a uh, supporting. One of the other uh, performances that got nominated nominated in that category was Coleman Domingo from uh, Zola, and that was also probably one of my favorite performances mm -hmm. this year. Um, that performance is very, very, very good. I'm excited to talk about, uh, and this will be something we'll do probably at the end of the year or the beginning of next year, but talk about some of our favorite performances of the year because, you know, it's interesting. Some of my favorite movies don't contain some of the best performances, but there's movies that have really great performances that maybe are not as high on my list. I think a, 
a really great performance that we would both agree is maybe one of the best this year is Jessica Chastain in Eyes of Tammy Faye. And that's not a movie that either of us would say is our favorite movie of the year. So it, it looking at movies through the lens of performance allows us to kind of recognize some movies that haven't been talked about as much. Yep. I uh, 100% agree with that. Um, a couple other movies that popped up in the nominations that uh, could have at least some uh, award uh, consideration and other shows. I think uh, we already kind of talked about some of those acting categories for passing. Um, Zola, come on, come on, uh, got a nomination for best performance for Joaquin's Joaquin Phoenix performance in that. Um, obviously, we got uh, uh, the lost daughter in there. Um, Red Rocket, which uh, could be a dark horse to get Simon Rex a, a nomination for best actor probably isn't going to happen just because of the year that we have just a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, big time performances and big time movies, but that's one that could maybe possibly sneak in there. Um, but yeah, overall uh, I think I, nothing that overly surprised me in terms of uh, the the nominations, um, it was kind of cool to see Shiva Baby get a nomination for Breakthrough Director and for Breakthrough Performer. I think that's great. Code is getting some love in there. Um, kind of surprised Coda didn't get nominated for Best Picture, uh, considering uh, it, it picked up some uh, nominations elsewhere. But uh, yeah, overall, nothing too terribly surprising. I'm looking forward to catching up with a few of these, these movies that currently you can watch on video on demand. Um, so I'm going to be doing that probably over the next few weeks uh, before this award show takes place toward the end of November. I know this is not the Oscars style, but I wish that they had a breakthrough performer, a breakthrough director award just because... And I, I think what it would do is it would really highlight some lesser known films. I know that Oscars are so pop culture that they like focus on kind of the top people and the top production companies and all that. But I just think it would be a great opportunity to highlight some of those other, other smaller projects. I agree with you. And something that I think, uh, we maybe don't take into consideration as much as if you had a breakthrough performer uh, category at, at the Oscars. Um, a lot of times it seems like you have children actors that put forth some really good performances, but the Oscars don't ever want to nominate those performers. Mm -hmm. And so this would be a great place to put some of those uh, really great performers like I, I'm thinking of last year with um, uh, what's the <laughs> the American Dream one that we watched uh, why can't I think of the name of it the guy nominated for best picture um, about the family that moves to Kansas and tries to start the farm why can't I not think of it I have no idea what you're talking about, right? Now. Okay. Anyway, uh, but um, oh, Minari. Yeah, Minari. Minari. Um, yeah, like that has some some children performances that I think probably you could have could have highlighted uh, that performance in a breakthrough um, performer category. Or I'm mm -hmm. thinking this year 
um, Belfast has the main character in that film as a child actor. You could really mm-hmm. highlight that that uh, performance. Um, so I don't. I, I think that they they should consider adding some of that stuff. Uh, I know that now they're starting to try to pull categories away and award stuff not during the actual ceremony, which is too bad. But uh, I, I think we might might be trending in the opposite direction rather yeah. than adding more categories, which is unfortunate. Yep. That is unfortunate. I, I like all of the smaller categories. I liked I actually liked when they separated the sound categories. Yeah, me too. Uh, um, but I feel like the reason why they put it together, we've talked before, is just the the difference was kind of indiscernible to most people. Yeah, the education part of that where most voters don't actually know what they're voting for. It's like, oh, they had good sound. Okay. Let's Sounded see. good to me. <laughs> yeah, so they just vote for it in both categories. Um, all right. Well, that might actually be a really good place to kind of uh, cut this conversation off and – um, we're going to take a quick break and come back and talk about Dune, uh, which is all about some of those smaller categories, if you yep. ask me. So uh, when we come back, uh, you get to hear from us about what we thought of Denis Villeneuve's Dune. And we are back and we are talking about the film Dune, uh, one of our more highly anticipated films of the 2021 uh, release calendar. Um, And so we finally got to see it. We went and saw it on the IMAX uh, because it seemed like the only appropriate place to actually see this film. Um, So, just to kind of give those who may not know um, some background <laughs> on what Dune is uh, about, it's, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> I have a frog in my throat. Um, so this was written by Warner Brothers. Uh, a mythic and emotionally charged hero's journey, Dune tells the story of Paul Atreides, a brilliant and gifted young man born into a great destiny beyond beyond his understanding. Uh, he must travel to the most dangerous planet in the universe to ensure the future of his family and his people. As malevolent forces explore into conflict over, oh, sorry, not explore. As malevolent forces explode into conflict over the planet's exclusive supply of the most precious resource in existence, a commodity capable of unlocking humanity's greatest potential, only those who can conquer their fear will survive. In the far future of humanity, Duke Leto Atreides accepts stewardship of the dangerous desert planet uh, Arrakis. No. Arrakis. Arrakis. Yep, that's right. Arrakis, the only source of the most valuable substance in the universe, the spice, a drug which extends human life and provides accelerated levels of thought. So that is what Warner Brothers, that's how they explain this, this premise. Um, what did you think of Dune, Danny? So first note, 
the fact that the premise takes that long to explain is part of the problem with this movie. I'll get to that in just a second. Uh, secondly, there's movies that uh, run long that are two hours and 30 minutes or so. I think the last duel was about that, right? Yep. And it didn't feel like that. Um, I felt every minute of this movie go by. And that is not a good thing to say about a movie. I would say uh, this is a big disappointment for me. Even still, as, it, as I recognize that it's a big disappointment for me, the visuals carry this movie to such a, uh, you know, it's such a stunning experience that I, I ended up giving it a 7 out of 10. But that's really because of the craft of the movie. I think it's bad storytelling. And I actually think that the, uh, I, I was talking to a friend about it and he said, so I'm just going to quote what he said. He was, he was like, um, I feel like we just got a third of a story and I know that it's setting it up for another part, but there's movies that have done, a, that have been part of a, a trilogy or part of a, a, just a two part story that have done a far better job of being standalone movies and this is not a standalone movie. In fact, I would, and, and so then I've seen critique people saying, like people saying, people who say it should have been a TV show don't understand and that this is perfect as a movie. And it's like, but it doesn't tell a full story. It, I would say just by the time the movie ends, it really gets to be going somewhere. And then we, we stop. Um, I, there's parts of this movie that I really, really enjoyed. I, I thought that the performances are really strong, but there's not, I, I don't think, enough uh, character within the writing to make this movie uh, work. And that's something that I felt, because I've read about half of the book. And so I felt that about the book, and that's why I stopped is that these characters felt stunted. So I thought the movie had an opportunity to expand on that, to be able to give these characters real depth and give their relationships something that made you care about them. I did not care enough about these characters. Um, and then the other thing I'll say before I, I shift it back to you is that uh, I was even confused parts of this movie and I had the background of understanding the book and understanding where the book was coming from I thought that uh, the way they edited the movie was sometimes confusing I thought that uh, the the um, I couldn't even imagine how somebody and that's why I'm curious to know what you think is who somebody who hasn't read the book or doesn't know the backstory how they felt as we were being whipped to different new pieces of information. Um, so that's where I'm sitting. I think this is a bad story. I think that the it's a purely visual experience and that's what people should applaud. But otherwise I wasn't a huge fan of it. What do you think, Rob? Okay. So um, I agree with a, a lot of what you are saying. Uh and maybe to an extent everything, but it, I think, played a little differently to me. Um, I did not feel every minute like you did. In fact, I think I was way more uh, invested in it than maybe you were. I don't know 
why I would have been more so just because this isn't my typical cup of tea. Um, and maybe I entered the movie uh, with a little bit more of an open mind because it's not my typical cup of tea. Uh, but I ended up giving this movie an eight out of 10. Uh, much of that is due to a visual experience unlike anything that I have ever seen. Uh, this may be, um, I, th I think Christopher Nolan even had made a quote saying that the uh, ability to mix live action and CGI so seamlessly is very, very, very impressive in this movie. And you really can't tell what is CGI and what is live action because it's just so perfect. Mm -hmm. um, so from a completely technical standpoint, this movie is perfect. Um, there's, there's not much that you can critique in terms of the way that it looks, uh, the vision of creating this world that is not super worldly. Um, yeah, I know that some of it was shot on location in some deserts and everything, but just the, I don't, I don't know. I, I was just so in awe by what I was experiencing, um, from there's a a scene in the film that hopefully this isn't too much of a spoiler but where a storm is taking place and they get caught up in the storm and the way that that is chaotic but done so well it kind of actually it reminded me a little bit of uh first man and some of the cinematography and effects they used in first man which is probably one of my favorite movies of the last uh decade um and much of that is because of what they did visually in that film. Uh, I, I just, I, I give Villeneuve so much credit here for creating just this visual experience. And then on top of that, uh, the sound is absolutely found fantastic. And the score is probably half of the experience. Um, the, they really amp up the score more so than they do in a lot of other movies. And it's very, very clearly um, almost like a character within this film. Um, and so I, I appreciated that. I kind of appreciated the uh, return to certain themes within the uh, score that kind of kept popping up at certain points in time. Um so I, I just absolutely enjoyed uh, every technical aspect of this film, um, from the cinematography to the editing to the uh, even the costumes and makeup and uh, uh, production design. Um, and then obviously the visual effects uh, are, are just incredible. Now, Let's talk about, uh, I do want to talk about performances and then I'm going to finish off with the weakest part, uh, but I want to have a conversation a little bit about performances. You said <laughs> that uh, you thought that it has a lot of really strong performances and there, but there's really not kind of that one standout because of uh, just the character depth isn't there. And I would agree. I think that Timothy Chalamet is really, really good in this film, but the character is almost too stoic to uh, really showcase 
his true range because we know that Timothy Chalamet is a great actor. We mm. know that Oscar Isaac is a great actor. Um, and but these these characters they just don't have that depth. So you're not going to see uh, awards being given to these performances. Now the one that I think is the most intriguing and probably gives the film the best opportunity to maybe get. Um, some acting nominations, maybe not at uh, at the Oscars, but some of the other award shows is Rebecca Ferguson, who plays um, Lady Jessica, who is Paul, played by Timothy Chalamet's mother. And I think this is a really great performance. And it's because it, the, this performance is one of the more emotional performances in the film. And it allows her to show a little bit of a range. Um, so I, to me, that is the standout performance in this film. Mm -hmm. I would agree. I think that uh, there is a sequence. There's a part of the movie that is where uh, Timothy Chalamet and her are kind of separated at one point. And that I feel like is where some of the performances between them really get to shine. Um, and I, I thought that sequence was actually one of the best sequences of the movie. Um, but, uh, I, again, I almost felt like that she made that a good performance. I don't think there was much in the script that led to that performance. There's sometimes I think writing that leads to good performances and this is not the case. Uh, and so, um, and the other thing, too, that I think we have to take into account is because there's so much world building, there's so many characters that we don't get the time that we need to really get to know these characters. Yeah. And that is uh, that is where if it was like a TV show, you would have the benefit of being able to really get to know them and let the actors really take their time with it, but then it just wouldn't be the same. It, and so, I, I mean, like I get why they made it a movie, but yeah. But um, in terms of that, uh, another performance that I wanted to talk about was Stellan Skarsgård, um, just because it's a wacky, wacky role. Um, not You wouldn't really even recognize that it's him necessarily. He's in this prosthetic of being this giant overweight man. Um, and it's it's simultaneously a kind of intimidating performance while also being a really goofy performance. And I actually think that that is, I wanted more of that type of uh, style in this movie. Um, I, I felt like at times some of the performances took things too seriously. And I think that is true of Timothy Chalamet in his performance. I. I almost wanted some more and, and that, a lot. Again, that has to do with the style and the direction of where the, the yep. Villeneuve is going, but I wanted more fun and, and kind of quirkiness injected into the movie. Uh, Cause uh, I remember we, we saw it together. And I think one of the things I said afterward was that was an unfun movie. It, it like, it did not, it felt like I was watching, something like 12 years a slave. Like it was, it was heavy. It did not feel like an enjoyable experience at times. Yeah. And we can be, maybe we can get into some of the, uh, some of that kind of heaviness uh, a little bit later as we, we maybe spoil it after the break here um, a little bit more um, and kind of some of 
things that I think lend itself to making this a heavier story in that seriousness. Um, but yeah, uh, Stellan Skarsgård, I, I, I think I struggle a little bit between is this great performance or is it because the character is just so disgusting in the way that uh, he is portrayed by the makeup team? Because the, the, honestly, that, that, uh, the makeup that they do for him in this, this film um, is award worthy all in itself <laughs> just because it, it looks so real. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's a good point. I would, I would agree with that. That uh, it's more about the production of it rather than. Yeah. He is a good villain. I think that he's uh, like you, he, he doesn't have, it doesn't seem like he has a soul. <laughs> um, and he, he plays it that way. And so it, I think that does make him one of the more interesting characters. Uh, and you're, you're right. I think I wanted a little bit, little bit more of that if there if it felt like we we kind of uh got more balance and saw more of that um maybe we have a little more buy-in uh to the story um and we'll get to the story here in one moment there's one more person that i want to talk about that it's not necessarily a great performance by any means but it's fun and that's jason momoa's uh portrayal of duncan duncan is the most fun character in this film um and he's like one of the it, you can maybe make the an argument that uh josh brolin's character also is kind of in the same same vein but uh they're they're essentially these action heroes and i think that that's kind of the funness that you are that you maybe were looking for a little bit more in this where it loses some of that seriousness and uh but yeah i thought jason momoa was pretty good in this role and uh gave you a character to really root for mm -hmm. yeah and he's also got the enough charisma to be the kind of heroic character that he needs to be at times in this movie and um he's fun to he's like action star fun to watch in this movie that i i feel like with as many big stars as there are in this movie, that we almost needed more of that quality in some ways for how big this movie was. You know, yep. it was it was so dramatic in comparison to the scope of the movie. You know. Yep. Um, so let's talk writing. I already said a lot about me, what I thought, so I want to know in, more. In any time where you have to split a movie uh essentially they now made they are splitting this into two separate movies where you don't really get to a story arc without having everything together you're gonna have problems and that's you're you're right this is not a standalone movie um and i kept kind of waiting for that moment of uh, something like, like that kind of climax of the film. And it doesn't ever really go there. Um, I know that might be spoiling it for some people, but uh, know going into this that you aren't going to get that, that climax. And as the, movies coming to an end there's something that gets said and i looked over at you because i was like oh 
<laughs> this is where it's going to end. Yeah. And uh, this kind of realization, it, in a way, it's almost hokey the way that they, some of the dialogue in this is hokey. And it's just, the, the writing is by far, by far in a way, the weak point of this, not only from the fact that the narrative isn't there, but also it's not very great dialogue. Um, what is being said is not always necessary. Sometimes there's uh, some explanation of things that seems very forced and it doesn't really, doesn't really need that. We kind of talk about that with uh, Christopher Nolan and how he has a problem with that. Um, maybe isn't to the same extent here, but uh, there were some moments where it just is like, well, they didn't need to, they didn't need to do that. Um, they could have shown in different ways, some of the stuff that they're trying to convey. Um, with that being said, uh, it gave me enough to be excited for another movie. It just is terrible to me that they did not make these movies at the same time. Like, why would they do that? I know that uh, they were kind of waiting to see what uh, Villeneuve could do, but if they could have made these movies at the same time, then we could maybe get a quicker turnaround on this and it, it wouldn't feel like uh, we're just kind of getting left in the, left in the dark here. Um, we're not going to get another movie for another couple years at the earliest, um, and by that point, am I going to be invested enough in the story to want to watch that second film? I don't know. Um, I the, the visual aspect of this has me intrigued enough to want to know kind of how all of this ends. Uh, but uh, the story overall is not overly <laughs> intriguing in this, this section. Yeah, well, and there's a couple things I want to say, and then I have a question for you. First thing is, this movie lacks a uh, a plot device that drives it towards a climax. And in most stories, you have something that's introduced in the first act or the beginning of the second act, and it it, it gives you something to look forward to. Yeah, a lot of times you're grasping for like, what am I, what am I looking forward to in this movie? And I kept thinking like, where am I headed? And um, while sometimes in the right hands, that's okay to feel that this did not feel good to feel like I, I wasn't sure where I was headed at times. Um, and I had read the book too. I'd read part of the book. So to, to say that it's bad. I think also like, this conversation about it being split into two parts. There's other movies that have been split into different parts and have still told a complete story and had a, a complete arc and managed to do that. And I honestly feel like this is a fault of Denis Villeneuve as a storyteller in this case, because he decided I'm going to be so um, honest and faithful to the source material that I'm unwilling to create an actual story arc for this first part, uh, a complete story arc. And some examples of movies that have had complete story arcs is look at Lord of the Rings. That's a story that goes all the way through, but each part has its own story arc. Look at uh, the last Harry Potter movies, the part one, part two. Part one, while it's a totally different story, unlike any other Harry Potter story we've seen, it has a complete story arc. They take you through that emotional journey and you know where you're headed the whole time. 
Um, and I don't think that that is the case in this movie. Um, something that I am curious about, because it has to do with the story, and you mentioned exposition and all of that. Um, how much were you feeling like you kind of understood what was happening in this movie? Um, I feel like I kind of had a grasp on what was happening, um, but I think I was willing to be sort of patient through it. I didn't get kind of caught up in when I didn't understand something like wondering too much. Um, overall, I, I feel like I probably got as much out of it as you did. And in fact, uh, the, we'll take a break here momentarily because I want to talk about some of the things that really stuck at, stood out to me. And, um, some of it, I, I think maybe I was able to kind of latch on to the story a little bit more because of uh, some of the things that it might be saying about our society um, and our world and kind of the way that some things operate there. I also think that it has some interesting things to maybe say about religion um, that uh, I also was very intrigued by and so uh, I maybe I just bought in a little bit more to the story because of that and I was looking for that sort of thing because there was a few things that kind of immediately uh, um, kind of stick out to me uh, and that that intrigued me enough to kind of keep me invested and, and maybe maybe that is what they're counting on i don't know yeah. um, so we will talk about those things is there anything else that you wanted to say before we kind of move into that segment of the show where we dig in a little bit deeper into some of the meaning that behind some of the stuff one last thing and you were you praised the sound and the the score of this I was not, I, I did think there were the score added a lot to this movie. I, I was not maybe as strong on it as you were. I do not think the mixing in this movie was good. And maybe that has to do with the fact that we saw an IMAX and it was just really loud, <laughs> but it was, it was so much noise to the point where you couldn't discern, like it didn't feel like there was an, a middle level of anything. You know, it was either quiet or just super loud. I did, I did not think they did a good enough job building intensity by using the full scope of sound that they could have. And then I also think the, the mixing between what was happening in the story and the score was not great. It just blended together most of the time. And maybe that was by design, but if it was, then I don't think it was a good choice because I feel like part of building a world is hearing that tactile aspect of the world. And the more you can hear it, the more you feel that world. And I didn't, I felt like the music was almost so much some of the time that you did not feel like you were able to like experience that tactile aspect of the world. One of the best sequences, and we'll talk about this in the spoiler section is a section that has almost no music. <laughs> like, uh, and so I'm, I'll talk about that later, but I I did think that was a fault of the technicality of the movie. I can uh, I can understand that, uh, but I I I just I bought maybe and maybe I am just a sucker for what they presented me. 
Um, but I just bought into the full uh, auditory and uh, visual experience so much that uh, I recognized that it felt like the music was very loud and amped up. But to me, like I kind of said earlier, it felt almost like it's this character and it's this strong presence that's always there. And that to me had a positive uh, effect on how I enjoyed the film. And so maybe that is kind of part of where we, we differ on this and where I walked away having a much more enjoyable experience than you did is because of uh, I kind of embraced that, that experience of it. Um, so I don't know, I, but I, I do understand kind of what you were saying there where maybe it, it is, goes from silence to just booming. Um, and yeah. yeah, you might be right. Some of it could be just that we are in the IMAX and the sound is set up kind of that way. But I think that's by design to be completely honest. I think he wanted it that way. Um, and I, all I can say is there's only been a handful of movies that I think from a just cinematic experience, uh, it's unrivaled. Um, and even though I think you could put like a movie like Avatar there, I don't think it's on, on the same level as a movie like this. Uh, the Just the visual and auditory experience of this film um i think that you could maybe compare it to a movie like mad max which also kind of had that feel um and then i would say gravity also very very much uh is just about the the movie going experience and creating something that hasn't really ever been done in this way before um and so that alone puts this movie kind of up on this pedestal. And uh, I think that it probably is going to get nominated for best picture, even though it doesn't have a, a full story arc. And um, I, I'm not, I, I won't be entirely upset that it does because with all the other, with all the nominations, it's going to be getting below the line for all those technical awards. It's kind of hard to say that this is not um, one of the greatest feats in, in cinema this year. Yeah. I, it will depend on what gets left out at the end of the year, um, how I feel about it. Um, I think cinematography should probably be considered for best picture a hundred percent, you know, yep. but I, I don't think his direction should be considered because I, there was some, there were even some choices that I was like, why did he do it that way? And, um, and it go, it makes it very stylistic, but you know, and we, we could maybe talk about that at another time, but uh, yeah. So I, it will be interesting. We'll, we'll see. Yep. I, I, I agree. All right, let's take a quick break and then we're going to come back and just have a short uh, kind of dissection of some of the things that pop up in this film and do a little bit of spoiling of, of this movie. So stay right there.
And we're back with our spoil conversation of Dune. And we just really wanted to spend some time talking about a couple things that really stood out to us about the movie. Some things that would potentially give away, definitely would give away aspects of the movie that uh, we don't want to spoil for any uh, audience members who are excited about seeing this movie. Um, you had a couple ideas in mind or things that really stood out to you, Rob. Do you want to start us off? Tell us about what stood out. Yeah, the thing that I think is interesting about this uh, movie in terms of maybe some of the uh, greater discussion being had here is that this story was written um, in a different time that I uh, was talking about some things that don't necessarily mean exactly the same thing today, but uh, I was able to draw some pretty big parallels between what is happening here and basically the entirety of my life, uh, how the world and in particular the United States has played a role in the Middle East. Um, and I think maybe the setting adds to that a little bit, but without a doubt, in my mind, you can draw parallels between uh, the spices and oil and uh, kind of the greed that comes along with that at the cost of the people who live on this planet. Um, just like we kind of see in the Middle East how uh, it's such a war-torn part of the world. And much of that is because they are sitting on a the wealth of of oil that basically makes the world go round. And so um, I, I think that Villeneuve, despite the fact that the initial story was not written with this uh, conflict in mind, um, I think that it feels like uh, Villeneuve is very conscious of this and potentially is trying to say something in regard to uh, kind of this, uh, making this into an allegory about the Middle East and how uh, the United States as well as the rest of the world have kind of meddled there because they get something out of it. Um, what do you think about that? And did you kind of pick up on some of that as we were watching the film? Yeah, and I, th I think that's a very deliberate aspect. The whole political side of the movie is, I mean, it's not like it's exactly our world, but I mean, this takes place in the future. It's still based on the people that, you know, like these, this isn't a totally, this isn't a different universe. This is our universe just in a totally different time. And um, I, I think the other giveaway of that is the music, the music that feels inspired sometimes by uh, sounds that you would hear from Middle Eastern music. Um, influenced by that and specifically there's kind of a, a theme that pops up frequently that is inspired by that and so um, yeah I, I totally agree I, and you also mentioned in our non-spoiler section the um, religious aspect of this movie and this is a question for me because I I am curious this is a, a story where the main character who is not from the home planet Arrakis is kind of set up to be the savior, the Messiah of these people on this planet. And um, I'm curious how does that feel 
you know, white savory to you. And um, if that is the case, you know, what does that, what sort of implications does that have then for part two? We don't know what's going to happen in part two. Maybe he tells a different story than what's in Dune. I don't know what happens in the second half of Dune because I never finished the second half, but um, I'm curious to know kind of what you thought about that. So, uh, yes, I think there are some major, major, major concerns about this being a white savior character, which is a huge problem. Um, I don't know, obviously, how this story in particular is going to end, um, but kind of what uh, I have heard just from doing a little digging around, I'm not so sure that the second part is going to fix my um, thoughts on this. And I think that is problematic, uh, especially considering the way that this film is casted um, and a lot of the uh, people, they happen to be people of color. And I think that, uh, yeah, that, that could be very, very problematic if there isn't some balance i you can see that they're without a doubt paul is very driven by uh chani 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 oh chani um who's the zendaya character um she even though she she doesn't have a huge role in this film in fact i think that they probably advertise that poorly um she's an important character without a doubt um but uh i imagine that if you go into this thinking that you're going to see a lot of her you're going to be very very disappointed because she's just not in it that much um but i i think maybe where this can maybe balance out a little bit is that paul clearly relies upon her um, in order to kind of get to where he's going. And she's almost in a way, uh, the guiding force for him. Um, even though there might be a little bit of, uh, a question of whether or not what he is seeing is real or is going to come to fruition. Mm -hmm. Um, that whole, thing I think is still a little bit confusing exactly what that looks like and how that works. Um, Cause I think there's things that he was seeing that we haven't necessarily seen yet. And uh, so because we don't get the full movie right or the full story right now, there's a, there's some question marks with um, some of these visions that he has seen. Um, but clearly uh, she is kind of the guiding force in those visions and so maybe, maybe that kind of balances things out. Um, but yeah, you, you're right. I think that there is, she's clearly kind of being positioned as the savior for these people. Uh, and in a way they've kind of accepted, accepted him as such as the film ends. Mm -hmm. Well, and again, like so much is still to be determined by the second part, but this movie does something interesting that, uh, is not done in the book, but the movie starts with a narration from Zendaya's character, Chani, which I, I kind of was not a fan of the way that part was kind of shoved in there. I almost felt like they could have taken even more time with that, but maybe they felt like it 
needed to be a little blurb, but the whole the whole movie is prefaced by her character basically saying what what new empire or imperialism is going to hurt our planet or hurt our people next. I mean, that's the that's how the movie is framed. Yeah. And so because that is the way they do it, I almost wonder if they're going to do some sort of bait and switch where maybe she is the messiah type character yeah. they we see in the second part. And you even see that in the visions that he has of her. I felt like there were the the way she's dressed, the way you see her kind of in the sun is kind of ev- evokes Christ-like um, images. And I, I almost felt like her hair, like the way her, her hair is, her hair, the way they, the hood is pulled up. I think that was definitely Christ-like and maybe and the, the other, maybe evidence of how he's maybe not the real Messiah is that he's being set up as a Messiah through these like political machinations through the, the Benny Gesserit who are his mom's like organization of like witches or whatever quote witches. Um, And, and, and so then that's the part of the story that it's like, so complex that like it's hard to piece it together right now especially because we only have a part of the story and we it really only feels like we have a setup for a story right now and um so yeah i mean it could go a lot of different directions and i really do hope they don't go that way say i hope they kind of prove him to be a uh, not the character he seems like he's going to be you know yeah, uh, I had read somewhere because there's some stories that go beyond Dune, and so yep. like, the story goes even further beyond all of this. Um, and somebody was saying that his character is. And sorry if this ends up spoiling stuff for, even for you, but I have no he, desire to read the other books. Um, they said that uh, it's he's almost more like a John the Baptist type character, um, a representation, and. Uh, in, and so I think that might be kind of an interesting take as you were talking about how um, she may be more kind of that Messiah type character. Mm-hmm. It would be, uh, it'd be very fitting that he kind of takes on more of that John the Baptist and kind of leads uh, all of these people to her and kind of follows her, um, which I think is an interesting, uh, interesting take there. Um, yeah. So well- I, I think, I think there's some interesting things there. And I think that it would be far more interesting if we got the story uh, in a full movie, or if we just didn't have to wait as long to get the Mm -hmm. ending of this. Yeah. And I guess one, one kind of, uh, we can talk maybe about some specific scenes that maybe stood out to us uh, before we end things today. Some, something that I just generally wanted to say was all of the stuff about the Fremen was really interesting to me because I like when movies dive deep into like a culture and that was so fascinating. Um, I felt like the other aspects of it were so almost parallels of our real world in a way, like the Imperial, I could get where that was a parallel to like our own kind of uh, fascist or either corporate or you know interests that we have in our current world yeah Um, but understanding a new culture that we don't really understand i think is makes it fascinating so i that's why i felt like the ending 
was like getting really exciting, you know, and then right. it kind of ends. What, uh, which we kept kind of waiting for that because they made references to these people that live under the ground in like yep. these caves and how that's how they essentially survive in these conditions. Yep. Um, and, and so, yeah, you kept waiting for that and yeah, you're right. We just got to that point. And, uh, that, that I think does bring up even another parallel because these are indigenous people and being uh, thinking about it in terms of kind of uh, how here in the United States, at least uh, we, we decimated the indigenous people and we kind of see that parallel as well here. Um, and there's something that's uh, kind of strange um, about these people um, and they're mysterious. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, I, I am very intrigued to get a movie where we get more from them. And I, I fully believe that the second movie is going to be far more interesting. Um, it's just too bad that we got to wait at least two years to see it. Yeah. Um, and you know, that introduces kind of another interesting aspect. You mentioning the indigenous aspect and, how like, you know, the, the uh, Atreides house is basically trying to, he like wants to use the Fremen people in a way, you know, like, and that in introduces another kind of interesting commentary. So I think that that's interesting. And then, um, so that, that, I mean, that's all to say that there's just a lot of cool themes in the movie yeah. that I wish we would have gotten deeper into in this movie, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, one last thing that I wanted to mention is I really, I, we talked about it briefly. I really liked everything between Jessica and Paul in the Thopter or whatever that, that yeah. like, and where they use the voice. I thought that was a yep. cool sequence where the plane crashes, where they are in the tent. Um, I just felt like uh, there was a sequence after that. And yeah, pretty much right after that, where it just felt like they were running, you know, away from things over and over and over again. And I, I would have tightened that section up in a way if I could, you know, I, it just felt very drawn out in a way that, you know, we, we didn't have the rise and fall that we needed. It just felt like repetitive at that point. Um, and so then by the end, I wasn't sure if we were, just about to run away from something again, or if this was the climax, you know, it just was kind of a strange, strange storytelling thing. Yeah. It, I don't know that it bothered me as much uh, that kind of, it, did, I, it didn't strike me as being this overly repetitive section. In fact, it felt to me very adventure um, and where they're just trying to survive kind of the survival movie. Uh, and they needed to get to the, some destination uh which we really don't necessarily know what that is at this point um because now they're just wandering even more so uh but yeah i don't i don't think that it bothered me maybe as much as it, it bothered you but yeah i think that the dynamic between uh he and his mother is are i mean i think that's very a very interesting dynamic and i think two great actors uh, getting to kind of work together um, is kind of an interesting take. Um, I felt like there's a scene in 
when they are getting into their suits that felt like there was some sexual tension between he and his mother. And I yep. thought it was interesting. It was just a brief moment and then it kind of went away. Um, but it was, it, it was an interesting choice to include that. And I don't know if that's written into the book in that way or not. Um, but I found it to be kind of a, in a way I kind of laughed internally about it. Cause I'm like, Oh, there's, there's definitely a little bit of sexual tension here. And the way that the camera portrays it is clearly that that's what they're going for. Well, yeah. And I thought the same thing in that scene. And then there's, this is less sexual, but it's, it is a strange dynamic in this other scene where he says, I know that you're pregnant. And she's like, I'm, it, it, I mean, they talk because he's like a weird kind of prophetic character. They, she doesn't talk to him like he's her son. Yeah. She talks to him like he's like the Duke who, you know, he becomes the Duke essentially. And so it just is, you're right. It, there is, and I've seen other people saying they've sensed that. Christie said the same thing. So yeah, yeah. Which I mean, I suppose it's kind of they have a very intimate relationship because of that in a different way that goes beyond just a mother and a son intimacy. Um, because she, in a way, has given him some part of who she is uh, that she hasn't really ever given anybody else. And so there is some intimacy there in that, that kind of transfer of a part of her to him, um, which I think is kind of an interesting thing that, that could be dissected even deeper, but uh, we only have what's sit, sitting here in front of us. Um, one kind of final thing that I want to talk about uh, in terms of maybe the narrative of this and maybe some of the things that they are trying to say um, with him kind of taking over midway through this film after his father is killed. Uh, it almost feels like uh, they can't overcome a lot of these problems um, as long as somebody who has been solely in power for a long time um as long as that person is continually continually in power there is a sense of innocence in paul because he hasn't been jaded or uh kind of calloused from experience yet and he still kind of has this childlike uh vision of what could be and hasn't been corrupted by the, the things that corrupt adults. Um, and so it, there, there's sort of this, this feeling that because he is a young person um, and has some of that innocence yet, that he is the only person that can kind of connect uh, these two worlds because everybody else is corrupted so much by uh, the resources and the power there. And I think that that is kind of an interesting thing to sort of unpack here. Um, and uh, I maybe allows me to buy into this story, this unfinished story a little bit more because uh, I am very intrigued by kind of the role that he steps into in who he is as a character taking on that role. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And the, I almost wish that we could 
Cause he, by, I mean, he, he gets to be a more mature character throughout the movie. I almost wish we would have seen an almost more innocent, uh, you know, less serious or less melancholy version of him at the beginning um, to really see him go through that journey a little bit more, see that character development. Um, I do think that I feel a little bit more after our conversation today that I am excited to see what the next one is like, and it feels like it should have a better story. It feels like it, it has to, you know, like if it doesn't, it, it just seems like that they've dropped the ball completely. And I sort of can understand why this story f- did not land in the way that it needed to. I can understand why. I just think that they needed to do a better job to make it land. The only concern that I might have with the next film is if they leave basically solely a climax for an entire movie um, where you don't have as much of a story arc, but I still feel like there's enough that we don't know and needs to be explained to kind of set up a nice story that then will have a climax and a, a ending here. Um, and is, is there any chance that this is more than two parts? Um I don't think so. I think they're going to do one more movie. And then if, if it's successful, they may make a movie about another story down the line, but I think it's only going to be two. I think that's, that's what it sounds like he wants to do. Um, And yeah, I, I totally believe that that's probably the case. Now, something that's interesting because I think there was a little bit of concern. I don't think there was a lot of concern that it, may not make enough money and then they just wouldn't make a second movie, um, which I think is probably was a little bit scary for Villeneuve to make a project that's like this, that's pretty risky. And like, if they didn't make a second movie, then the movie is essentially worthless on its own. So um, the movie actually was his, our highest grossing film opening weekend that he has had out of any of his movies yet uh, at uh, $41 million uh, in the United States and 200 some million worldwide, um, which is pretty impressive uh, considering the time period and the fact that it also had the uh, HBO uh, release as well and something that I don't know quite how it works yet um, but there's something called Samba TV which measures uh, when stuff is streamed in homes and they said that over the weekend starting on Thursday when it was released through the weekend uh, it was watched in 1.9 million U.S. households um, so that's that's quite a few people to watch it. Um, Not to say that they watched it the full way through, but uh, I think that that gives us maybe a little bit more as to why Warner brothers and HBO are okay. Having a release like this because it helps build kind of that brand on their platform a little bit more. Um, People are clearly using it and that's what people want to watch movies uh, in their homes, even a movie like this. And so uh, this kind of brings us full circle to a conversation we've been having all year about this theater versus, uh, versus 
streaming conversation and where the industry is headed. Um, and I think this is a really good example of how the two can coexist um, and that maybe not in the same sort of way, but I think that we're going to see more situations where you're still going to have a theater release and maybe shortly after or around that same time, uh, you are going to have the opportunity to see some of these, these films uh, in your home streaming and you don't necessarily have to go to the theater because it is very clear that there is a large group of people that simply would just rather not go see the movies in the theater. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I think the, the big number that stands out to me is the, the worldwide uh, box office. I think that was huge for this. And then it's also interesting to see what the second weekend looks like in this sort of setup. Um, and that I think will also help kind of determine how we do this. I, I, again, we've said this before, but I'm in favor if we're doing this format, do a like two week, maybe three week in theater sort of thing and then switch to, or then have it available on uh, streaming. Um, I just think that maybe is the best way to maximize the both platforms. Um, and so I think, I think that is probably what we'll see. I imagine though, for the part two, he will arrange for an exclusive release uh, in theaters, at least first in some yeah. way, shape or form. Yeah. I agree. I think that's what's going to happen. Um, I don't think he was a fan of having it on HBO this year he he I think said something early in the year about that Yeah, when they had announced that they were going to be doing that for the entire year I'm pretty sure he was quick to say no nope, don't like this um but uh yeah I think that you're right that I that I don't think this is going to be the usual setup I don't think we're going to have same day releases as often um, I do think that there's going to be a delayed release for video on demand or for streaming. Um, we're already kind of starting to see it with some films, especially some of the indie films where they'll get a release. And then within a month, it seems like you can then uh, rent that movie on demand or even a movie like uh, Dear Evan Hansen. You can now get that movie on demand. Um, and I think that's going to be, I honestly think that is going to be the future uh, where I, I, as a movie watcher, would like that situation because there's some times where I just want to watch the movie, but it doesn't necessarily fit uh, my, like the times in the theater don't necessarily fit my time frame. Um, so if I want to watch a movie at 830 at night and there's not the next showing isn't until 950 in the theater, um, I'd rather just watch it at home. Um, and so I... I'm excited with the idea that there is a way for these two things to coexist and um, maybe more so than any movie that we have seen this year. Uh, this I think is the best representation of how those things can coexist. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, last note is I think that this movie is being really well received it seems like critics are mostly favorable of it and audience score on on it rotten tomatoes is really high and so um that's really exciting i i would not have pegged this as a movie that would get mass appeal but 
it seems like of the people that see it, they do enjoy it. Um, but even still, I, I can't imagine our dad liking this movie. I well, didn't think so beforehand, and now I know he won't like this movie. <laughs> I, I had a conversation with him last night, and I talked him out of seeing it. So good. good. <laughs> I just don't. I just don't want him to have a bad time. Yeah, and that goes for a, a lot of people out there. If this isn't your like, if you don't like this genre, you're not going to enjoy this film probably because it it doesn't have anything special beyond that. Uh, kind of those who really like this sort of genre um, just because that story isn't there. Uh, however, if you want to see a movie that is visually amazing uh, and like kind of the craft of that, then check it out. Um, all right. That, that wraps up our conversation about Dune. Uh, next week, we're finally going to be talking about the French Dispatch. And so we're going to do a review of the French Dispatch. Um, and then we're going to spend the second half of that show doing a countdown and kind of recapping uh, back through um, these, these films that we've been watching in the Wes Anderson Marathon, um, ranking them and maybe highlighting a few things that we really liked throughout the entirety of his catalog. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, and until then, have an absolutely great week. Yeah, you too. We'll see you. Thank you.